evil's not always a demon. So you've heard of evil incarnate, and that is um, a, a process of thought form, which is you know, most most believed in the Eastern ancient religions. But a thought form is, if you think about it and concentrate on it enough, you can create an entity. And this entity is just simply created by human emotion. Uh, more, the more people participating in that same thought and emotion, the more real that entity can become, or at least the faster it can become real. I do think that mankind has actually already um, created portals into these other dimensions and we've actually seen evidences of it you know whether metaphysically or scientifically tonight in the studio paranormal counselor and demonologist timothy earl he is with the advent international order of exorcists and they address the emotional spiritual and psychological impacts of encountering supernatural entities timothy works with trained professionals to treat and provide entire deliverance from demonic possession that and more tonight on My Alien Life. My Alien Life is recorded live from atop the Northern Rocky Mountains and is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and everywhere fine podcasts are found. My website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com. There you will find my email address, all previously recorded shows, and more. I am Cameron Brower. This is My Alien Life, and the podcast starts right now. My Alien Life Podcast. Timothy Earl is on the show tonight, and Mr. Earl is from Wichita, Kansas, and he is an active member of the Advent International Order of Exorcists, which is affiliated with the Old Roman Catholic Church. Timothy Earl, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. So you are a paranormal counselor and demonologist. So what, sir, is the Advent International Order of Exorcists, and how does paranormal counseling and demonologists fit into that and how do you fit into that uh, well, it's kind of a um, it's a long question catch. there's a lot of answers there actually so let me let me first uh, explain what old roman catholicism is we are independent catholics that uh, the movement started back in the i think it was 1870 um moved away from the Roman Catholicism, whereas that's when the Roman Catholics believed that the Pope was an extension of God. So 
people still wanting to practice Catholicism moved away from that and moved away from the Vatican and continued forward. Now there's other differences in our belief systems. We, we actually um, adhere to the catechisms. We give credence to you know, the um, authority of Rome, but we don't report to them. And we certainly don't, as mentioned, believe that the, uh, the Pope is an extension of God. Um, we allow our priests to marry. We're progressive in other areas of the church where the uh, Roman Catholics are not. So this, I was raised Roman Catholic, just like uh, you see, you know, in the TVs. You know, the the Catholic Church with the grade school and the the Sister Amina slapping my hands with the ruler. I went through all of that. That was hmm. it's called cradle Catholics. Yeah. Um, and I started actually ghost hunting is a cheap way to entertain foster children and we started catching things you know recordings pictures videos just like you know anybody would and then from there it just kind of went downhill and that's when Archbishop Ron File with the Sacred Order of St. Michael uh, reached out to me and asked me to join the order and uh, help them with demonic issues so I had been doing that for multiple years, and then um, Archbishop James Cloud started a new order and requested myself as well as a couple of others to join him in, in startup, and, which we have done. And so the or, what an order is, is it's not just a, a club or a loose organization of people with like minds. It's actually a support system. So... Archbishop James Cloud is the chief exorcist, whereas I'm endowed with the title of demonologist. I'm not clergy. Um, I am allowed to perform um, certain types of exorcisms. There's multiple types. And um, I'm also um, mentored, counseled, educated. We have access to resources. Uh, most laymen would not. There's other clergy associated with the order. Uh, one of my better friends is actually... Um, an ordained priest out in Denver, uh, that's Stephen Wiedner. And uh, he uh, he's actually one of the biggest goose out there as far as ghost hunting is concerned. But uh, um, we're just a group of individuals who believe that there are demons on this earth and that they are negatively impacting people and that there is a way to battle them. And, and we've chosen the lifestyle to actually battle these demons on behalf of what we, um, Christ's children. So that, that's it in a nutshell. Let me ask you this. So what's the difference between an exorcist and a demonologist? An exorcist, that goes into the type of um, exorcisms that you can perform. So there's a, there's a basic, simple, and major. Um, basic is, for instance, a baptism. A baptism is actually a form of exorcism. The simple exorcism is on a place or objects. And then there's the major exorcism, which is on a um, person who's either fully or partially possessed. Major exorcisms are only allowed to be performed by those who are um, clergy. And that is an exorcist, what most people would say. I've actually been called an exorcist, and by truth, it's true, because I do perform the simple exorcisms and basic exorcisms, but I cannot perform a major one. So we generally reserve that title for clergy. So a major exorcism 
has to do with a person. What if you have a, a, a house that um, has demons and you want to rid that house of demons? You're able to do that. And what would that be called? That, an exorcism. And yes, I can. Yes. So when the church asks publicly and authoritatively in the name of Jesus Christ that a person or object be protected against the power of evil, one is and withdrawn from his dominion, it's called an exorcism. Um, is this evil always a demon? I mean, that sounds like a stupid no. question, but what what's what's going on? No, there? it's a it's a it's a great question, actually. No, but e- evil's not always a demon. So you've heard of evil incarnate and that is um, a, a process of thought form, which is you know, most, most believed in the Eastern ancient religions. But a thought form is if you think about it and concentrate on it enough, you can create a, an entity and this entity. is just simply created by human emotion. Uh, more, the more people participating in that same thought and emotion the more real that entity can become, or at least the faster it can become real. Uh, if you, um, there's a experiment called the skull experiment and there's lots of documentaries out there on it. And, um, I know it got, was turned into a movie. So some of the documentaries may were pulled for copyright, but there's still some inf- good information out there. And then a group of, um, individuals, some of them were psychic, some were not concentrated on, a ghost or a spirit they that beforehand identified the traits of the spirit sex age time frame that they they died everything and then they were able to start creating this this entity it was actually created in a tangible form that they were able to use catching on uh, recordings audio recordings video recordings pictures um, actual uh, PK activity taking place while they're uh, performing their meditations. So they literally created this entity. So when you're talking about evil incarnate, it's the same thing. People are so upset and so depressed and human emotion is so strong. It actually creates an evil being. And this evil being will eventually become uh, a completely separate entity not even tied to the original individuals who created it. People can move away and that entity will remain within the house. You know, human, human emotion is just so powerful. There was a, um, there was a case here in Wichita. Um, the, uh, it's, it's actually the one, um, the history channel followed me for a week, um, helping people through in Wichita. We actually had this particular case, and this young man was being tormented by demons and he ended up committing suicide. But when he went to commit suicide, he had to walk into a garage and over a pile of, I'm just going to say trash to a spot where he could hang a rope to hang himself and where his hands touched the rafters to steady himself going over this trash were electrical burns of hand imprints into those, those beams. I actually have a section of that, um, cut out and, and saved um, a hand imprint. It looks like an electrical, electrical burn into the wood. And that was him doing that by simply his, his state of being. So I know that's a long story, but in the end, human emotion can create these beings, these thought form beings, evil incarnate, whatever you want to 
whatever you want to call them. And another thing that is out there are inhuman beings that are not demonic, but they're evil. And that's just simply created by nature. Nature is full of energy as well, and negative things happen. So these entities are created in the natural world, and they're not always easily taken care of. You can't, you, there's, there's rules on the other side, and not all rules will apply to the right beings. That's, that's part of my job is to actually find out what type of entity we're actually dealing with. And uh, so, no. They're not always fallen angels. Everybody thinks of the demon as simply a fallen angel in, in biblical text, and, and that's not what demons always are. So when you when a when an actual um, evil incarnate is 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 created, it, does it have a form? Does it have a shape, or is it just an energy? Usually just an energy. I can't see these things. Others others can, and I give credence to them. And what they describe is just dark blobs. You know, um, they'll often these blobs will often reach out and grab onto somebody, tether onto somebody, and they typically are stagnant, meaning they don't move from place to place. They like to stay in one location. They're kind of stuck in this in the sphere of where they were created, so to speak, sometimes even only in one room in a particular house. So this is something that I, I don't, I've never known about. I've never heard of this. And it's interesting to me because, um, there's people in this, in this world that, um, feel as if, as if there, there's matter that contains energy and there's that energy can be, um, emotion, um, that can energy can be um, electricity. It can be almost any kind of energy. Do you feel that there's there's some sort of matter um, in the space that we bet that we live in that actually collects this type of energy, concentrates it, and just holds it in this certain place? Or is there another mechanism that you could describe to me that that is happening? Well, we we just described one, but I think what you're also talking about is the true definition of EMF. You know, everybody says EMF is electromagnetic magnetic frequencies. That was actually coined by a ghost hunter back in the 70s. And this is really a bison buffalo argument. But EMF actually stands for electromotive force. And loosely translated, that's the, the propensity of any given matter to be able to hold and store and transmit energy. So any matter can do that. And one of the things we have to remember is matter is atoms. So there's wherever there's an atom, you're going to engage in electricity. Or, or I'm sorry, in energy, some sort of energy. Atoms are always moving. Sometimes they're almost dead still. You know, uh, I think our scientists are trying to create a dead still atom, but um, they haven't been able to. They're, they're trying to use supercoolers. However, um, there's always some sort of energy going on there. So when a human exerts certain type of emotions, they're going to attract certain type of energies around them, certain type of, you know, atoms, positive or negative. So these things can actually pick up and enlarge based on what you're giving these things. So, yes. Absolutely. Human emotion, spirits, 
um, your your chakra, whatever people want to call it, can actually affect and embed itself in the into the atmosphere, let alone the, um, the material items around you. It, it's there's basically scientific fact on that. The first law of thermodynamics is you cannot create or destroy energy; you can only change it. So there you go. So when does the uh, when does human emotion cross the line and create evil incarnate? I I'm not sure I can actually quantify it. I don't know that. I'm sure people have tried. Um, at the end of the day, if it's a negative emotion, I, I would say that that's what generates the evil. Um, now the negative emotions aren't necessarily sad, but you know, consistent sadness can create an atmosphere that you know you walk into a room and you're full, it's full of depressed people who have been living there for a while you feel it it will actually absolutely affect the environment so, but is that evil it's just negative um i would say evil the crossover i i guess it would be anything anti anti-human or anti-christ you know, if you think of just in the terms of Antichrist, what is Antichrist? Things against Christ. It's not necessarily that you're against Christ, but you think against his teachings. And if his teachings are peace, love, and acceptance, and you're against that, that inherently would be the Antichrist and hence be evil. So, so you can absolutely, you can absolutely see a, you know, a child who's, who's three years old. And, and, you know, some people could describe the, the, the child as having a, you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of energy, but then, you know, once in a while you see a child that, um, that is acts out in a different way, totally. Um, and, and maybe that child looks evil. Maybe that child does things that are mean. Maybe that child, um, you know, uh, is mean to an animal or, or to its, to its parent. Now, when you see that, we also know that, those kids can grow up and just be perfect humans. They can be a, a priest. They could be a fireman. They could be almost anything. So what about, you know, that innocent little child that, that has that type of negative energy? Does that, is, is, is that creating evil incarnate? It's a long oh, question. I wouldn't think so. I, I think because a child, uh, especially a, um, a child who doesn't, let's just you mentioned a three-year-old, but three-year-old doesn't know any better. That child is a product of its environment. If the child is acting out, it's acting out because somebody else has taught that child to act out. It's parroting or, you know, unfortunately, oftentimes we're called into situations where a child's being physically abused. And for some reason or other, the parent thinks that it's demonic. Had a case where um, um, a child was um, being bitten overnight and the parents are convinced that the demon was coming into the room and wanted to have it to want to rid of it. Well, come to find out it was the grandmother biting the child. So uh, I don't think an innocent child could create one of these thought creatures, so to speak, just for the simple fact that they are a product of their environment. I think thought creature is a good word. I mean, that actually gives me a sort of a picture of, of what that could be like. So 
we have this evil energy, this evil incarnate energy. Um, can that take possession of a person or is a possession something different? It can. It's not necessarily a possession. It's moreover a oppression. Now, there's five different... I, I, first, let's define what demonic activity is. There's actually five different types. Everybody talks of three, but there's five. There's temptation. We always forget about that. There's um, um, oppression. There's infestation. Oppression is when they're around you and they're making you think... Um, evil thoughts, they're making you angry, emotional outbursts, they're affecting your um, relationships, but they also affect your finances. They also affect your job performance. They also affect your health, physical health. There's there's a whole lot of litany of items that they can do under an oppression. And infestation is when they're, they're in your house, they're acting out. Uh, a lot of times people mistake them for poltergeists, which is the new buzzword for a spirit that uh, has PK activity, that is objects moving or being displaced. But then there's the fourth type is partial possession. Now, I think that when you're talking about one of these entities, you're talking about that it can oppress you into acting out and it could possibly partially possess you because you become obsessed with the emotions that it's embedding onto you or is imprinting onto you. So I would actually call that a partial possession. And then, of course, the fifth activity is a full possession where you have actually given in to the uh, demonic entity and allowed it to um, take you. So if if you have a true demonic possession and you're possessed or somebody is possessed by a demon, is that demon, was that demon a person at one time or a fallen angel, or is that something else that takes control of that person? All the above. It's unfortunate that everybody's so um, stuck on categorizing everything. So we have, we have the fallen angels. One of the first things I want to correct is we don't just have Lucifer who fell. Um, you know, if you're talking about the mechanical text, you, you, you really need to go into the Old Testament, and that talks about additional angels who fell. But you can even um, look at the um, New Testament in Second Peter, verse 4. It, it talks about God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell. Everybody's interpreting that as just simply being Lucifer. Well, no, it's, it's multiple angels. Because if you go back to the book of Enoch, you're talking about um, different levels of heaven where, you know, level two, he comes into rebellious angels who are um, imprisoned. And then he comes into level five to another group of rebellious angels. So there's multiple sects of angels that fell. Okay. But they're not necessarily always the ones who are trying to do harm to you. The Watchers fell. The Watchers, um, while they're the Nephilim, the giants of the earth, are mentioned in the book of Genesis, right? And Enoch um, discusses that a little more where there were, and, and even in even the book of, um, oh, what's the Jewish book? Um, Jubilee, um, they talk about the Watchers. They were sent to earth to watch over men, teach men, and then they bore children, which became the Nephilim and the giants. Well, the Watchers were cast to earth. They weren't cast to hell. They were cast to earth. Now, the Watchers...
watchers want to get back into the good graces with God. So that's a fallen angel who is not going to be possessing somebody. Their children have uh, hybrid souls. Now, their children will possess people, but the, the watchers themselves don't. Truth be known, we have absolutely no idea how many fallen angels there are or how many types of fallen angels there are. Some people try to say that they know, but if you look at all the canonical books or books that were canonical over the years but dropped out, there's so many different types just simply discussed. But then yet these ones who are, are damning mankind, let's talk, just generalize it into Lucifer and his sect of demons. So they're hell-bent on the destruction of mankind. Um, you know, one of my favorite uh, myths about a demon is that they have to feed. Well, they don't have to feed because that would be something that's terminal if they don't. And they're not terminal by any means. These are ancient beings. They just, you know, it's kind of like a, a cat having a bowl of food. Why is it bringing you a mouse? It's just simply in their nature. They are going to destroy you by taking your energies. So... That's an easy way to wear you down. It's the oppression in this. They're trying to get you to the point to where they can take you. But there's other things that they can create to do that. Actually running into an actual fallen angel that's in a mode of possession is not all that popular or common, let's say. You know, possession's not common to begin with anyway. It's one in a hundred cases would be a partial possession and one in 500 cases would be a full possession. But for it to be an actual fallen angel would be even less than that. It's most likely going to be an entity that they have created and this entity that they have created are performing their minion work. So one of the things that we know that these beings do is lie consistently and they take on the names and shapes of their masters. And it's up to the exorcist to identify whether there is actually an angel or not because that'll, that'll tell you immediately how to interact with this thing. So I, I know it's a long explanation, but no, a fallen angel isn't the only thing that could possess somebody and actually often is not it's usually most often something else and yes evil spirit human spirits can do the same as well they can latch on to you and try to take your body now the variance here is they can suppress your your conscious but they cannot take your conscious whereas a demonic entity could so that's that's how we can gauge the difference between you know uh inhuman spirit and the human spirit performing the possession i think people always have yeah that was great i mean (laughs) that's that's way more than i would have ever expected you know and it's it's this is an education right now because it's so much different than i would have thought now one of the things that that we keep bringing up angels and as 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 humans we we see you know we see things in in relationship to ourselves so um i think a lot of people um, believe that uh, you know a lot of humans can become angels. Were there angels before there were humans? I mean, were there were there angels out there before before humans came upon this earth? Yes, humans were. Uh, I'm sorry, angels were created before man. Absolutely, and that's actually what uh, ticked off Satan. Satan was God's 
you know, right hand angel. And, uh, you know, it's actually Lord of the morning, Lord of the light. Um, just, you know, right there, almost as powerful, not almost as powerful, God, that's the wrong thing to say, but extremely powerful. There was God, then the next most powerful entity would have been uh, Lucifer. Well, then God created mankind, and Lucifer was supposed to bow to mankind, and he couldn't do that. He, he felt he was, you know, parallel to God, and that's what started this cosmic conflict for our souls. Did God allow Lucifer? Does he still allow Lucifer? He does. And why? He does. Well, Lucifer is given the material, the matter, the principalities of the earth. We call it the principalities. The reason God has allowed Lucifer to be here is because of our sin. And I I know that a lot of people are going to get cross on this, but we have to remember God gave mankind a choice. Whether you want to believe it was the true story of the Garden of Eden or not, just know that we were given a choice. We were given we could live in his kingdom where everything is perfect. We won't be harmed. We could have, you know, Snickers bars all day. But, or we could have freedom of choice, free will. And he told us if we chose free will, you can do all these other things, but you're not going to be able to live in my kingdom. You're going to be out of my house. And this is akin to an parent giving a child, you have to follow these rules to live in my house. If you don't want to follow these rules, you got to go out and get your own. It's very similar to what he did. Now, in the real world, was Satan. And, well, we chose that. We made the decision to go ahead and live in the principalities of this world in which he rules. So that's why when people say, how could God allow such a thing? It's real simple. We chose it. If he intervened and didn't allow us to choose our own way, that wouldn't be free will. That wouldn't be be the love that he says he has for us. So he loves us and gave us allowed us the free will so now we have to make the decisions in order to be able to get back into his his house the only difference with satan is he can't make a decision he's already damned so therefore he's trying to take as many of us with him as possible why do people become possessed there's no one answer to that. Honestly, if we could, we could maybe fix it because you could have really good Christian people become possessed. In fact, um, um, one of the, one of the bishops out there performing exorcisms and I don't have permission to bring him up, but he's a popular one. He's convinced that more Christian people become possessed than more non-Christian people. And it almost seems, you know, an antithesis of what we've been taught all our lives. But the truth is, is if you're damned, you know, why would a demon want to even mess with you? He's going after the targets. And demons don't want to be found either. So at the end of the day, they're they're lurking where they can take do as much damage as possible. So why somebody good... Even even if they're not Christian, uh, they're just a good person. Why are they possessed and not the others? That's the best answer I could give. Is that it's a good possibility that that the others aren't simply a target, good enough target for them, or um, 
they targeted somebody and they're not as strong and then let their guard down before maybe some, the person next to them are. But why yeah, we don't have a real, go ahead. Why are there not more? I mean, why are there not more possessions? Why don't we see this? Why isn't it commonplace? Well, I, think, I think you do. I think it's, I think there's a, a lot more, but again, demons don't want to be discovered. So let, let's go ahead and transition for a little bit into the, the alien conspiracies, right? You know all the videos that have been out there to where you see a reptilian flash, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's yeah. multiple videos out there. Uh, there's the most common one is a Secret Service person during Bush's, I think it's Bush's presidency. Um, the video pans, the camera pans, and there's a Secret Service that looks looks like a reptilian and then that pans back and then it looks just like a regular secret service person. Have you, have you seen that one? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's your possession. Interesting. It's happening all the time. (laughs) Yeah. It's just not being brought out into exposure. I, I'm convinced that so many of our leaders are actually possessed. You know, I think that the parallel of um, people in the alien conspiracy saying so many of our leaders are actually aliens, are actually reptilians in disguise, is actually what I'm saying, that these leaders are actually possessed. I am convinced in my, in my personal beliefs, there's, there's absolutely nothing tangible here because there's lots of clergy out there who will differ from me, lots of clergy who will agree with me that when you're talking about the alien conspiracies, you're also talking about fallen angels. I am convinced that when you go through the litany of the different type of entities, you're going through the litany of different types of fallen angels. Uh, I think that you're, you know, because Satan was given control, principality of this earth, and he was actually Lord of the air as well. You're seeing him exercise that kingdom in the material way. I think that the abductions that we are seeing are specific to Satan trying to figure a way that he can create soldiers to fight in this pending uh, apocalypse. And I, one thing that people consistently forget about um, the book of revelations is the lie. There is a lie that is coming and most will fall for it. And it's almost terrifying that where I think and maybe you would agree or maybe not are on the edge of full disclosure about aliens in existence. I do think that, you know, even some of the description of aliens paralleled the description of demons of what people see there, you know, and it's, it's just almost, it's, it's just a, almost like a different religion describing the same book, but in their language. I think one of the things too, that you can think about is, um, you take a person like me, um, growing up in the middle of nowhere and, and, um, you know, wasn't around movie theaters and, and, uh, you know, real rural environment. And there's a lot of people like me that, that grew up in the seventies and the eighties and they woke up one night and saw this, being or entity, whatever it was at the foot of their bed or in their bedroom, or they saw it in another place. Now, the interesting thing is that we describe those almost exact. 
it's it's almost the exact creature. Now, some people have yep. have varying stories and different types of of uh, you know the different different species they call them of aliens. But mm-hmm. a lot of us have the same vision, or we saw the same thing. The other thing is that you know there there are certain parts of of my account, my story that that I don't tell people about because I'm interested to see if that these subtle things pop up. You know, if I hear it again or, um, you know, if I, if, if there's somebody that's, that's really close to me and I, I let him in on, you know, some of these details and, um, you know, I'm finding that, that, yeah, we share this down to, you know, minute details. So, um, one of the things I think that really, really gets confused and you hear people fighting with this all the time is they're believers in aliens and then you have people who are believers in aliens but they're also devout christians so they combine Mm -hmm. the two a lot and that's when it really gets confusing when you when you combine aliens when you combine religion um you know what was jesus what was this what was that it how often do you hear that i mean do you when you go to a home that possibly has some sort of um, entity or, or demon in that home, um, how often do you hear these people complaining about aliens and that it's, no, it's not a demon, it's an alien or, or vice versa? Um, not often, actually. The, uh, unfortunately, they're so terrified. They're really not quantifying as the, or trying to categorize what it is. Um, it, to them, it's just evil. So anything evil is a demon. Um, but I, I want to share something with you that would actually, maybe you ha- have heard it before or haven't. Um, some people actually ghost hunting or paranormal investigating, whether I'm, I'm twirling my eyes cause they're really just ghost hunters, but, um, have actually in- found aliens in these haunted locations. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually, okay, so I actually did a show with, uh, with, a with a person who, who's done this and he says he's actually discovered, you know, he thought he was dealing with a possession, but it was, wasn't demonic. It was an alien. And I don't know if so that's what you're saying. Good, well, a good friend of mine, uh, well, I mentioned him earlier, uh, father Wiedner, uh, was actually ghost hunting at the, um, oh, one of the, it's a tuber- tuberculosis hospital, the biggest one, the, the big one that all the, I drawn a complete blank, but one of the popular haunted places. He and his good friends were there, uh, trusted friends, and they saw a bright light that ended up turning into um, an alien, just a gray alien, exactly how we, anybody would describe it. And then it dissipated. So is was it an alien? Was it a spirit? And that's how it presented itself. Who knows? But that, to me, actually draws a little more parallel to religion and the actual materialistic world with um, alien conspiracy being more parallel than maybe most are even understanding. I I don't even think that the the papacy understands that. I think at the previous popes and their administrations did and i do think that they have information hidden within their archives but as the vatican ages they're you know wanting to become more in line with the current belief systems and 
they're starting to trend now that there could be aliens out there. God could have created more. And I think that we're going to see them actually coming out and saying that they're just God's creatures like us. And that in turn is the big lie that somehow or another, these things may have even, you know, biologically engineered us instead of creationalism. Uh, I think that in the end, we're, we're just not connecting the dots well enough to truly understand how, what's going to transpire here in the near future. It actually kind of terrifies me in a sense. What happens to a possession that, that, uh, becomes untreated if you just let it go. I mean, I'm sure that happens a lot because I'm sure, you know, you just don't have people um, all of a sudden admitting they're possessed. But if you, if you let this thing go, um, what could be the, the best result and maybe the worst result? Um, the best result is the demon gets bored and leaves, but the worst result is, and typically what happens, they just waste away. Um, mentally and physically, they uh, uh, you, see, you see people with um, delusional disorders, uh, schizophrenia, who you know go insane and end up running out in the middle of the street and get hit and killed by a car. Many in the ministry would say that that person was probably possessed by a demon. And there's others, you know, who end up in mental institutes institutes um, on so many drugs that um, all they're doing is just a living, existing as a living shell um, being force fed. So if they're not, if it's not treated, you could end up like that very easily, or you just end up becoming a vessel um, for this demon to be able to act out whatever it wants to. And that could be either violence against mankind or as previously mentioned, um, leadership positioning themselves into an opportunity to, to steer mankind away from um, true work. So is there a resource available for people who feel like they've been possessed? I, I know that there's probably a lot of people who think they're possessed, but do people actually seek out um, treatment or um, an exorcism? Uh, do you see that or, or, or are we having to go find them and, kind of force them into something they don't want? Uh, usually it's family reaching out on their behalf. If a person's reaching out to us feeling that they're possessed, I don't, nine times out of 10, it's a, it's a mental disorder, you know, and you know, there's chemical abuse out there as well that can create the same situation. And there's actually legitimate, um, um, hormonal imbalances that can actually create the impression that they're possessed. I mean, there's, there's medical reasons behind it. So if somebody's reaching out to us, we immediately start going down either medical or psychological. If a family's reaching out to us because they've seen the changes and they've seen what these people are going through, yes, we're going to bet the, the medical and psychological aspect of it as well. But then it has more tendency to turn out to be uh, a true sign of true possession. It's those around you noticing the change. When you yourself notice the change and go seeking for help, you know, that's not, that's 
usually to us an indicator to look at something different. Do these demons have access to hell? I mean, are they a, are they a uh, um, a creature of hell, or um, is what is hell, and are they able to go there? Well, hell is you know often described as you know a fire pit with brimstone, but I think it has moreover uh, presentation to those who have witnessed it just to show how bad it is. The uh, um, all we know is hell is in a separate dimension. It's we know it's lower in vibration of the dimension that we are in, and yes, they can transfer there and back. Oftentimes, when a demon comes into a room, the room chills. Now, people think that that's a spirit taking energy out of the room. Well, that's incorrect. The reason why it's chilling is is because this had a lower vibration. Earlier, we spoke about the atoms and how they vibrate. At a lower vibration, which a demon vibrates lower, it's actually transforming its environment to the same vibration to which it is. Usually, they're not hot. They can create heat to make you uncomfortable, but they themselves are actually extremely cold. So that is, you know, indicative of actually, I think that, uh, oh, I wish I could quote it. Uh, I, I didn't have this part of, the, uh, of a discussion, but there's there's a scientific community out there that's working on um, w- reaching out to another dimension. And one of the things that they feel is required is a super cooler. And um, so we're convinced that when a demon's going in and out of that dimension, or which would be hell, um, they're super cooled. I think, so um, I, I, yes, I can. I think, you know, when we, when we talk about hell, the way you've just, the way you've just described it, one of the things that comes to my mind is the fact that, you know, this is a, this is a, it has physical properties. Um, you know, it's tangible. It's, 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 it's made of matter. It's made of, uh, of things that we can identify with. Um, maybe it's quite different from matter that we have here on earth or wherever, but you know, matter can, can take so many different forms. And, and I think, you know, to me, it's, it's amazing to me because, you know, we, we think as a growing up, I was thinking of ghosts as, uh, uh, you know, something, something totally different, something that, um, you know, that could pass through walls and it could do so many different things. And, you know, it, it existed on a completely different plane and when you describe it that way, to me, it, it sounds like that's something that we could possibly interact with and, and alter, perhaps. I don't know. I think it, you're actually onto something. I think you could. I do think that mankind has actually already um, created portals into these other dimensions. And we've actually seen evidences of it, you know, whether metaphysically or scientifically, you know, as, as a Catholic, we believe in different levels of heaven and purgatory is the first level. And that really closely aligns to these spirits that you're seeing, but it's a dimension that's right next to us. And if you think of the, the, if you think of the, the entire reason for Christ, Christ is 
was created, specially created, who are supposed to open the gates to heaven. And if you're going through these different dimensions, you're going to have to be able to punch through these dimensions somehow and create a gate, create a portal going through through these dimensions. So if you have purgatory, um, we mentioned the Book of Enoch, that went up to five levels of heaven and possibly higher. If you have this spirit that's supposed to be able to punch through all of that, it's been created. The, the, the gateway's been created. Now, that's in the spiritual world. But it's tangible, like you mentioned, and I believe it is. I think it's extremely physical and tangible. We just haven't been able to wrap our science around it yet. Then we ourselves are going to be able to get to a point to punch into those dimensions, whether it be hell or heaven. I think that we're idiots and we'll create punch into hell, of course. <laughs> but the question yeah. is, would would God allow us to do that, or would He say? And that's it. You can't do that. And that might be the Armageddon, you know, right. so to speak. We're too close to it, and that that might be it. Now, you've already brought up free will, but, um, you know, if God is mighty and all-powerful, I mean, you think that he would intervene, like like more often. <laughs> and I, I'm sure, you know, there, that, he, that he definitely has a presence and changes things. But, um, you know, why why don't you see these huge interventions, you know, and... And um, is that the scope of free will? And that's kind of become a rule? Well, free will got us into the position to begin with. I think that one of the things that God understands is that the pain and suffering that we have here is minuscule compared to an eternity. So when you have a child out there suffering to get a lawnmower started, but you got to let him figure out you got to push the primer, right? Because you've taught him so many times and you have to, let him get through it. Why don't we intervene? You know, you see a child trying to do something um, artistically. You don't. You don't intervene to teach them how to properly draw a face. At the end of the day, or especially when a child is interacting with their friends and and they're having a tough time, you can coach them, but you can't interject yourself. On their behalf, parents try it tragic, with tragic results, but um, most parents wouldn't interject themselves. So, because we understand that you're going to get through it. There's something on the other side of that. And this right now isn't really as, as important as what's going to be on the other side of that. So, when you talk about God and our suffering, is our suffering actually something that he feels that we just couldn't get through to get to the other side of it? Or is it actually big enough for, in his mind, for us, for him to actually interject himself? You know, the suffering that we feel may not be as nearly important as the suffering we could be going through associated with hell. And I think that ultimately it's, it's our job to, to intervene and we don't. Um, sometimes we do, um, some, there are people that intervene a lot and, and try to take care of their fellow man, but you know, not enough. And, um, you know, there's millions of us, billions of us that should, and, and as a group, probably that doesn't happen the way it should. So, yeah. Absolutely not. No, right. That's, I think that's why we all like dogs better than humans, but, uh, you know, I saw a picture of a child in Africa drinking out of a mud puddle and uh, 
why do we ourselves allow that to happen and then right. blaming God for allowing that to happen when we could take care of it. Yeah. One of the things that I, w- I want to get an idea of what, what an exorcism looks like. And, and one of the things that are listed in the Roman ritual as being indicators of possible demonic um, possession, they, those, you know this, but they include um, speaking foreign or ancient languages of which the uh, possessed has no prior knowledge, um, supernatural abilities and strength, um, knowledge of hidden or remote things which the possessed has no way of knowing when, when, when they describe supernatural abilities and strength or the knowledge of hidden or remote things which the possessed has one or has no way of knowing, is, is that remote viewing? Does that describe remote viewing? Because there are people out there who are remote viewers, and to me, I'm wondering if that's the same thing. Oh, very good question, actually. And I've actually had this conversation with a priest just recently. No. Remote viewing and uh, a demonic possession, having knowledge that they wouldn't otherwise know, is not um, in the same. So a remote viewer can actually project themselves out of their body and into another sphere. Um, the demon that would be possessing somebody, if they hadn't gained the knowledge prior, meaning, you know, they're they can't be in multiple places at one time. A demon can only be at one place at one time. So they would have had to have gained the knowledge prior. However, they still have a foot in, into the other side, into the spirit world. So they could have something feeding them information. And that often is the case. But no, they're, they're not one and the same. Interesting. Now, because that's, viewing, that's a big difference. You know, I, I like how you put that because they're getting fed information by, by something else, another demon perhaps. Right. Another another false belief in, in demons is that they can tell the future. They cannot tell the future. Um, they've been, of course, been told the future about the destruction in, in biblical texts. However, when they tell you about your future, if some things do come true, that's because that they're very, very good at being able to project human behavior. And of course, they're always going to try to steer some of it. Um, you know, these again, these are ancient beings that were created before mankind. They've had a long time to practice, right? And they have powers and abilities beyond what we have. And, and their their brain, the brains, you know, if they had brains, but they just simply work at a higher level than ours do. So no, they can't even tell the future. They can only project what our behavior is going to create in the near near tenth. So the last thing in there, I know it's not the last thing, but it's an aversion, an aversion to anything holy and profuse blasphemy and or sacrilege. So to me, those are, those are huge, huge signs. I mean, you know, if, if, if one of my people or something that somebody that was close to me was speaking a foreign language or an ancient language, which they had no prior knowledge. I mean, that's that to me, that's a big deal. So are there early signs of possession um, or should we wait until the victim starts speaking in an ancient language (laughs) that they had no prior knowledge? I mean, what would be the early signs? Well, what, when you're talking about aversion to um, religious psychology or, um, artifacts or anything of that nature 
it's very easy for somebody who's actually mentally ill or somebody who's trying to pull one over on you to act like they are. So we try to slip in little ways of um, having them interact with a sacred object or, and see if they have a negative reaction to us. Um, a little slip of holy water into a drink, you know, um, a little holy water on the hand when they shake their hand if or bless them on the forehead with, I'm doing an air quote, anointed oil, which is not anointed oil. It's just that, you know, 30 weight out of the garage. <laughs> and it's, if they have a reaction, you know, that's not a possession. If uh, they don't have a reaction to that, but do have a reaction to a, you know, hand soaked with uh, holy water, that's a good indication. But, there are signs prior to that where you'd want to intervene and you know it's a change in behavior change in moods the way that they're lashing out at people violent violently usually um becoming withdrawn when they were open you know cherry people uh broken up relationships when they start taking it's almost um akin to somebody who's um, getting into drugs has a drug addiction and they take that spiraling down. It's very similar behaviors, except for there's no drugs involved. So while that can be also terms of a mental illness taking over them, such as, um, you know, it's, uh, it's delusional behaviors tend to manifest themselves later in life. So, somebody one year is just fine and then the next year they're behaving just like I just described but that's when you really want to start getting involved and identifying just what's going on so there's earlier signs all those items that are listed in the um, Roman rituals or the Roman rite it are very indicative but those are just extremely obvious signs you know, unfortunately, mental those are obvious signs for sure. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine seeing that. But you know, look at at the time it was written. You know, mental health was not even a discussion. So there's so much more work that's been done in psychology and, and psychiatry to better understand the human mind, and we really need to bring today's medical world into the diagnosis of somebody who may or may not be possessed. And I know people put up with this for years because, you know, I I've read stories and, um, where, um, the, the household had, there was, and it was in great Britain. I was just watching it last night and I wish I could tell you what it was, but it was in the early, early seventies. There was a case in great Britain and, um, these people had all kinds of things, moving furniture, um, and it's documented it's uh it's it's on film but this went on for a very very long time and um before they finally asked for help i i don't is that part of the possession is that you basically mm. show this lack of interest or is is there fear all the time i mean wh which is it i think that what you're talking about is is a social construct of not being able to talk about a paranormal activity, you know, it's such a taboo subject. You know, we have a mathematical equation that says that the Higgs boson or the God particle exists. So we build, invest 
a billion dollars into a super collider, right? But yet we have anywhere from 65 to 73%, depending on which one you want to talk about, which, which statistics you want to quote, people believe that paranormal, paranormal activity is real. And one out of four are convinced that they had a paranormal experience, yet we can't talk about it openly as a society. It's just so taboo. That's why people take so long to seek help. They're, they're, you know, So many religious leaders don't even believe that demonic or any supernatural activity even exists. They believe in a metaphorical Bible instead of a, a real Bible. And especially, and I, I don't want to belittle anybody's belief systems, but you see it more often in the Protestant religions. And then, of course, um, you know, our, our, especially today, people are calling our religion and just calling not even being spiritual, and atheism is on the rise. So you become belittled if you try to, you know, reach out. I've had, um, it, I had a woman, she, her husband was the president of a bank and uh, they were having paranormal activity in the house and it went on for years. Um, the children finally um, grew up and went off to college and she was home alone and she said, screw it, I'm going to ask for help. So she reached out to me, uh, actually reached out to the order and I was just dispatched and I go and I find out that they have been dealing with, they have had an inhuman entity in the house for some time. And I'm sitting with the husband and the wife in the living room discussing this and I'm showing them pictures. I'm letting them hear the outright conversations that I've had with this thing. And he's just in complete denial. I have to be lying about it. I just have to be, none of this can be true. And then we're sitting right there and the coffee table moves. And I just, you know, wow. there's nothing going to get through to this individual. But the woman said something to me, his wife said something to me that was extremely powerful. And she said that she was, after I had engaged her uh, and, and showed them that, yes, it's real, it's happening. She said she was sitting in traffic and it just came over her, just, just a welling emotion that she was no longer part of society. She was no longer part of everything that's around her. Everything that's around her has been a lie. She now has been imparted with a special knowledge and she's felt completely removed from the very people sitting in the car next to her. Uh, she just was thrown into just a fit of depression over this. Her whole belief systems were shattered and it made me realize and it wasn't quantified at the time, um, you know, in the 90s, in, in the early 2000s, PTSD was not a, a diagnosis that you would ever hear of. But a lot of these people are suffering PTSD from these traumatic experiences that they're having. And they're given medic medicines for it instead of actually treating what's taking place. So I think society is the reason why people suffer so long before they actually reach out for some sort of resolution. What was it like to see a possession for you for the first time? I mean, what was that like? I was in complete disbelief um, to me, honestly. I thought the person was full of it, faking. Uh, and it wasn't uh, my case. I was helping uh, a, a friar out of... Um, Oklahoma, 
I just, I didn't believe it. I honestly didn't believe it. So we went through the litany. I did my best to pray, uh, you know, and bear in mind, the Roman rite is just one of the ways that you can exercise somebody. Each priest is going to go in with his own set of prayers, his own, his own process. He will most likely take from the Roman rite, but they don't go down that, you know, um, consistently. Everyone's got their own way. So the, this particular fire was going through his, uh, um, this, he was a Monsignor, let me correct myself. He was going through his um, his prayer set of prayers and, and his commandment of this entity. And this person passed out and the, and the Monsignor continued. And then for about, this went on for about five minutes. I'm going to grab this person and actually, you know, check and see if they're okay but I, you know i'm being motioned not to and after about five minutes this person grasped air got up and didn't even recognize any of us and there was legitimate lifting in that room you could feel the elevation of energy just rise dramatically that's what it was I, I was completely amazed. I was taken aback. You know, he had the faith. I did not. So that actually taught me to believe people a little more than what I was actually willing to do. Uh, and uh, completely changed my approach. How can you do this and not be out of your mind scared? I mean, because it's a scary thing. It's. It, I'd rather look at something and confront it physically no matter what it looked like. That's not the scary part. The scary part is what it does to us um, that you don't see. Uh, one of the jokes uh, that we run with in the ministry is if you're in, in the ministry of deliverance, you're broke. You will never have money. And it's true. We're always, we're always broke. It's something fun. There's financial catastrophes consistently with us. And we just ridiculous things. I had three cars break down on me, all with timing chain issues. This was just this year, just recently. And each one of these timing chain issues was anywhere from a thousand to three thousand dollars worth of damage. You know, I, I mean, is that coincidence? So it's it, it's a choice. You can protect yourself from having the, you know, supernatural influence, but it's the the materialistic influence that is tough. It, it just is. So when you look at a celebrity exorcist, and I know that there's some out there and they're doing well for themselves and, and they have absolutely no issues um, and they're happy and joyful and, and saying that they're casting demons. They're not. They're, they're absolutely not. It's, very, it's almost akin to um, you know, a soldier who's been in battle has a specific error about them. They call it, you know, the, the stare, the glaze. And another soldier who's had that same experience knows when somebody's lying about it, knows when they haven't been in combat, but the same that they had. It's very clear. So an exorcist who, I don't know, that isn't somewhat cynical as well, you know, got a dark sense of humor. Um, but an exorcist that's just up and bubbly, joyful, everything's great in their lives, nothing's going wrong, it simply is not 
not battling demons. So it's a choice. You just just kind of get sucked into it. And I tried to get out of it multiple times. I've actually went silent, not responding to requests. And it's something always happens to bring me back into it. Um, I just tried to get out of it just recently. But uh, a good friend of mine was uh, needing help in performing of a possession um, on two people as well as the house. He was going to take care of one person. Uh, another priest was going to take care of another. He needed somebody to exercise the house easily. So I was pulled back into it, and here I am again. It's, it's not something that you could actually leave. You keep getting steered right back into it. You know, we've created uh, firemen, we've created um, police officers, and those are two professions that I definitely wouldn't want to do. I can't even imagine getting wake, woken up in the middle of the night and um, battling a fire or, or uh, you know, um, assisting in, in, in investigating a, a horrible crime. So, you know, what you do is amazing to me because it's very possible that you could be called and you're going to be doing something that, um, you know, most of us don't understand and most of us have a hard time believing. Um, and the ones who do believe it would think that that would be, you know, the, one of the worst things that, that we could be a part of. I mean, it's a great thing to do and a great thing to be a part of, but it seems very intimidating if you it seems very scary so what you know if you if you get the call what's the procedure um what what do you throw together to to make that call and to get to uh this person to help them out how does that work so there's there's the call as you mentioned and it sometimes is an email it it comes in different forms obviously but there's the initial contact and when I'm speaking to somebody on the phone or via email, I ultimately they want to gush and tell me everything. I try not to, I try to be polite and listen to them, but I'm not really listening to them until I get face to face. I need to sit and look in their eyes to have that conversation. And it's almost like similar to an interrogation that a detective would do looking for the, you know, the, the truth of the crime with the exception that I'm not trying to steer them into um, divulging themselves into what the crime is. I'm trying to see if I can steer them away from it, but it's a very, very similar approach. If uh, I mean, have a litany of questions. I'm not a psychiatrist. At one point in time, I was licensed uh, counselor. But the questions that have been created and and we've been coached on time and time and time again have come from psychiatrists who are actually friends of the ministry. So we ask them specific questions, try to identify what's going on. And this could actually take days, weeks, even sometimes a month of just talking to them, not even in trying to engage in any type of supernatural or, or evangelistic activity. It's just really trying to find out what's going on. If I believe that there is some sort of supernatural activity taking place, um, I have to identify what it is. Oftentimes, 
it's a ghost. Ghosts are real. They they come into homes, the human spirits, and they torment people. Uh, One of my calls are associated with paranormal groups. Paranormal groups always run into demons. Uh, They just do. They they go with something that runs into demons. It's not a demon, actually. It's some spirit being an ass. (laughs) <laughs> and those are things that, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, free will, remember? If yeah. you got free will, you got free will on the other side, too. Um, and they can be just as evil on the other side as they were on this side. So, absolutely, you know, you get people in the home, they move into a rental home. Well, maybe the person who built the house is still around, and they don't like those people, so they treat them bad. And then a paranormal group comes in, and they treat that paranormal group bad. And it's automatically deemed, but it's my job to find out exactly what's going on. As mentioned, possession is actually really rare. It's usually it's going to be oppression, even though the person may act out and black out sometimes. Typically, it's still in the stage of of oppression. Um, if I believe that it's starting to move into partial possession. I've never actually found a case of full possession. I have found a case of partial possession. If I believe that that's taking place, I will not engage that spirit. I will call clergy. Uh, you start engaging uh, a spirit, inhuman spirit, they're starting to take somebody, they're going to speed up a timetable on you, right? They're, they're, they're most likely a powerful entity that's been emboldened over time. And they're feeling pretty strong. And that's probably not something I want to take on myself or myself. My wife helps me often. I'm not going to take her into a situation like that. So I call clergy when it gets to that point. Anything prior to that, I will perform a a simple exorcism or a blessing of the home, depending on what's needing to take place. Sometimes we actually need to perform uh, funeral rites or the last rites. Uh, We Catholics don't do last rites anymore. They do anointing of the sick. However, the last rites are still avail- still there, and I've actually used those last rites to perform on a human entity that was in the house, and that resolved the issue. A lot of times, if there's some sort of inhuman entity in that house, but it hasn't started to in any position, we're still in an oppression, if the family hasn't been baptized, that's one of the first things that I get them to do is go get baptized. Oftentimes, that alone will actually drive that spirit out because now the, 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 the family and the children have been claimed for Christ, so it's not going to waste his time. It you know, will take too long. There's somebody else down the road that they can go. So that's it in a nutshell. It doesn't really get any more. I don't know, glamorous, but there really isn't any glam to it. It's, um, as a joke, it's, it's 99.9% boredom and it's 0.01% terror. So it's more, that's where I mentioned I'm a paranormal counselor first because I counsel people. I've had to counsel people on marriage. I've had to counsel people on child rearing. I've had to, um, you know, get engaged in really personal aspects of their life to get them going down the right path. It's not always demons. So what are the tools of the trade? What does the exorcist bring with him or her? 
Uh, usually it's a kit. It's a box. Mine's not as big as others. <laughs> um, in fact, this is recently the, uh, the exorcism that I mentioned. Um, I put mine next to Father Wiener's, and his was much bigger. You took a picture of it. It was a joke. And, you know, it's not the size of your box that matters. But you're going to bring holy water, and not all holy water is the same. Uh, there's different types of holy water. There's different types of way to bless it, but there's, most importantly, the holy water that we're going to be bringing has been exercised. Everything that we bring to the table is going to be not what you would typically get. It's salt. The salt that we bring is not just blessed salt. It's not just salt. It's exercised salt. We exercise demons out of it. Now, if there happens to be a demon in it. Uh, the holy water, the best holy water that I could ever get my hands on is... Um, uh, epiphany water. So during the during the Epiphany, um, you know, at during the season of Advent, this water is blessed. It's exercised three times by a bishop with the choir singing. So it's very powerful holy water. Uh, and of course, we have our set of prayers. Um, I I have a prayer book that I like with simple exorcisms within it. If something I'm preparing for, uh, for instance, I'm having to fast for yeah, an exorcist will actually fast for a big exorcism, fast for three days. If I'm fasting, then I'm also going to create my own set, just as mentioned, and I already have a set that I kind of like, so it's a bigger book that I bring, but I don't always bring that with. We bring our incense. Um, typically, well, we smell Catholic, you know, um, I have the incense burner just like anybody else. We bring holy relics. Uh, oftentimes, these relics are, um, I know it's morbid, but a piece of a saint, you know, a bone fragment, hair, something of that nature that's encased in a, in a, in a um, um, well, a box or some sort of um, stone often. You know, um, altar stones are actually, um, have holy relics embedded in them. I don't know if you knew that, but if you go up to go to a Catholic church, and especially an older one, and there's an altar stone, this, the altar will be wood, but there'll be a stone right where the priest will sit, stand. There's actually a holy relic embedded in that stone. Um, so a lot of priests, you know, churches collapse, meaning the parishes fall apart, you know, the churches are closed. Uh, most priests will take those holy relics and they get passed along, right, those altar stones. So uh, so many exorcists have an altar stone that they will actually set out and they will perform a mass. Uh, the that's the next step. One next thing that we bring with us are the tools to be able to perform a mass, to be able to bless the Eucharist, um, to be able to give Holy Communion to that to the one who's being possessed. Uh, this uh, last exorcism was a Latin mass and just beautiful Latin mass and. Uh, bought the candle opera and and you know we're all wearing lavender and it was just a, just a, a beautiful event so we carry typically typical tools of the trade that hollywood has shown us with i mean we actually do have those things that we come with i know that some will come with uh additional items such as black salt and that would be our blessed salt with the the ashes of the burnt palm ash during the ash sunday they get the, we get the leftovers, we mix them with our salt, and that's how we 
we have our black salt. It's just not black salt that's colored or, or black salt from Hawaii like some get. It, there's an actual religious connotation to it. Uh, most of us don't use sage. It stinks. Smells like pot. I can't stand it. Gives me a headache. I don't want to say anything. I'm not going to say that it doesn't work. Incense does work. Um, and I know that sage actually does work as well. But so does cedar. So does frankincense and myrrh. And that smells much better to me. Maybe it's because I'm just raised on it. Uh, we don't use crystals. Um, crystals can contain energies, can repel energies. Um, science has proven that in certain rocks as well. But unfortunately, when people are introducing a stone into the mix, they have absolutely no idea how that stone is going to affect the mix. It's kind of like uh, ghost hunters with these REM pods that send out a frequency supposedly either gives them a juice or attracts them or something. They have no idea. They don't even know what frequency that REM pods are operating at. They, they just throw something out. It, it could be the exact frequency that's going to demon. So we don't do that. Um, we stay away from that. We stay away from um, anything that's uh, postmodernism, such as organite, or you see people meditate. Here's my favorite that's been happening. Um, and again, I don't tear people down for the belief systems, but unfortunately, sometimes the belief systems bring this the negative reactions that they have to call me. And one, uh, one of them is Reiki. Reiki is putting yourself out there into the spiritual world, emotionally, physically, and um, spiritually so you're just opening yourself up and hopefully you know aligning your chakras and aside but because so many of these people are doing them under copper pyramids made out of copper tubing and so they're meditating underneath this with a ball this one gal had a ball of organite hanging from hers another one had a crystal hanging from hers and I think that most people would agree that a copper pyramid is going to channel energy from the earth. The earth has its own frequency. There you are meditating within it, opening yourself up. So the spirit is putting themselves up to all this influence and not negative things are happening. So we stay away from things of that nature. And, you know, a lot of it is because of the, you know, millennia of traditions that we've had that works but also a lot of it is based on scientific reasoning you have absolutely no idea what you're introducing until you've been able to at least do some study on it and well people are grabbing these crystals and stones and they're not studying them they're just saying oh this is going to protect you yeah right after so, an, after an it, exorcism it, where does where does the demon go what happens to the demon or the uh, whatever entity it is. So it depends on what it is and how it's exercised. So usually they're cast. And in the book of Matthew, even you, you can read about it. Uh, they're cast, they're out wandering. Uh, and it even teaches you to clean your house or the thing's going to come back with friends. And that, that means get your life straight, change your lifestyle. The um, So demons especially an actual fallen will be just simply sent away and the best thing that you can do is set this person up with the with the right path that they can keep it at bay there's never usually if you're performing a major exorcism you will have to go back and perform it again in a month again in two months then 
then maybe four, then maybe six. There's never really just one exorcism that takes place. That's that's in the movies. These things come back. They know what's home. They know where they're comfortable. They can, they want to come back. So it's, there's usually multiple exorcisms that can't, that um, cast them out. The next type is binding, and that's extremely extremely dangerous. So not many exorcists will actually perform it. Uh, I hear of uh, many um, non-Christian people, or uh, even even just just Christian exorcists saying that they're binding spirits, and I have a hard time believing it because your authority and your power has to be higher or stronger than that entity that you're binding. And if it's an actual demon, an actual fallen angel, it's not your power that's doing it. It's the, it's the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you. And to actually bind a demon, such as a divic box, or by, oftentimes a demon is bound to a mirror and we shatter the mirror and separate the pieces all over the earth. Um, <coughs> excuse me, but it's, it's just it's just really rare to do that. So usually it's just cast. You can't destroy a demon. You can either cast it or bind it, and it's usually cast. Wow. So is there is there does this exist? Is is there a demon um, that um, inhabits a home or a uh, a person, or is a, can a person be possessed by a silent demon? Maybe one that minds its manners. Um, they have a feeling it's there. They know it's there, but um, they can't really put their finger on it. But this demon kind of inhabits a space, but minds its manners. Well, but yet, it's still evil. Absolutely. Even even in the Bible, if there's a demon that minds its manners, but Jesus could recognize it and see it. Absolutely. If a demon has control and it has plans and it wants to get something accomplished. It will actually absolutely mind its P's and Q's. It's for somebody like m- myself to be able to identify it, you know, a lot of these, you know, the uh, the the testing with the holy relics or, or the um, holy water on them, as I mentioned, they won't even show signs or reactions to that, and, and they're extremely hard to detect it's going to be the will of the person that's going to have to identify it and bring it to us but by that time usually they've uh, they've given into it they've just allowed the possession to take place and they're just basically hitching along for the ride while the demon's in control you know i have to be honest that this definitely makes me uncomfortable um i don't like to talk about it and then and i never really have but one of the things that that i'm thinking about and, and that i'm wondering i mean what have you heard what have you seen um have you interacted with them and and have you spoken to them and have they spoken back they have um <laughs> so i used to think that I was pretty good at latin or at least the, the latin that i knew i've been corrected so <laughs> Um, they have the, the most powerful, and I keep sharing this because it's, it's really big, uh, because it validates so many things. There's a case down in Oklahoma um, where a woman was being oppressed, and I'd even say partial possession. And it was it's, this case had so many layers on it. It was so dynamic. And 
they're I I'll just say in the EVP we I have performed um, a simple exorcism and it's actually in process of tearing down. Um, we have uh, you know I have my team down there and the two ladies were talking and a nice young woman spoke in Latin and she said the name or the name of the demon is and then. A low guttural sound in two different tones. That is what we are convinced is a pure sign of Enochian, in that they are communicating in frequency, they're communicating in vibration. And that's where it exists, it's in that sphere. So I think that, that was probably the most impactful one that I've ever experienced. Um, this particular case, I even had um, my daughter do a walkthrough, and she, unfortunately, um, she saw this entity attached to the person, and she couldn't look at it. She kept looking at this person out of the corner of her eye. It was difficult for her to even look that direction. So it was a very powerful entity, and uh, uh, I can only hope that it's gone. Unfortunately, we didn't get there to be able to perform an exorcism before the uh, client said that uh, she was done. So um, I had performed some simple exorcisms, but uh, I, I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, it's fallen off the radar. So you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting that this is even a possibility, but obviously be, even being a demon has got to be a miserable thing. Um, have you ever heard of, a demon becoming something else. I mean, it, you could do an exorcism and, and a demon becomes something positive or, or a spiritual or loving creature. Is that even a possibility? Not in my world. That's a strange I have question. I've never heard of it. No, it's, no. It's, it's a great theological question. Um, could it, actually? I, I don't know that that's actually ever been... Uh, quantified. I know it's been asked before, uh, not of me, but of others. And the answer is unequivocally no. They cannot uh, turn around and start um, a good nature. If they do start a good nature, it's because they are steering you down a path that they want you to go down. And you know, it's extremely hard for people to be that negative. I mean, it's really hard and it, and it's taxing on a person for depressed people, for, for people with all kinds of issues. But, um, when, when they become that negative, it's so incredibly hard and taxing on the body that, you know, we're talking about entities out there that, that are your worst nightmare person times 10. So to me, it would seem that it would be so much easier for, for a creature like that to become something loving or become, become something positive but um is well, oftentimes it, bear in mind that's how they start that's how they get into your life you know they present themselves as something other than what they are all the time you think you know we always joke about the, the demon child well yeah, oftentimes they do present themselves as a spiritual entity that is a child and that that's a ploy of theirs every time that somebody tells me that they saw a ghost it's a child i'm always suspect and they can also present themselves as, you know, one of your past loved ones. Uh, that's, a, that's real common. 
at the end of the day, they don't want you to know that they're a demon. They are going to fool you at first. But they, in order for you to sub- completely succumb to them, they have to, you have to submit your will to them as they are. So they will reveal themselves to you sooner or later. Interesting. So is it, is it a good idea for a person who basically has, you know, as you said earlier, that people have a hard time um, admitting that they, they may have this problem and there's a stigma attached to it. Um, is there a problem for a person to look up information on how to do this and, and, and try to do this for another person? I mean, is that a bad move? Absolutely. If you're not, well, you know, I, I didn't start doing it until I was mentored for quite some time. But uh, if you don't have a have a grounding and a strong faith, then you're going to end up getting your, getting yourself into trouble. One of the, you know, we talk about the Holy Spirit. One of the things about the Holy Spirit is it's a jealous spirit. And if you put yourself before Christ, it will not be with you. So you have to be able to walk with the authority of Christ and the power and carry with you the power of the Holy Spirit. As mentioned, it's flowing through you to be able to get the job done. You yourself don't have that type of um, power available to you. So if somebody reads how to do this with the right words, the right symbols to draw, all of that, and they start going into this, they're not going to be prepared spiritually, nor have the power to be able to actually exercise it. So in the end, they're just setting themselves up to become possessed as well. What would be somebody's first move if they had, if they had a relative or a friend or somebody that they wanted to help? Where are they going to go with this? What should they well, be doing? Reach out to well, if they, they think that there's supernatural activity taking place, a demon or otherwise, they should, you know, reach out to the church. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to say just the Catholic Church because there's lots of good religious leaders out there who can help. You know, um, I strongly suggest staying um, apostolic descent, but you know, there's a lot of Protestants out there. I know that there's a shamans who have done a lot of good work um, and everybody's going to have their own belief system. E- even in Islam, there are, you know, the jinn and there are specific inmates um, who handle that. So don't take it on yourself. Reach out to your local religious groups or whoever you're f- comfortable with for help. And if they won't help or can't help, then you go to special groups associated with it, such as the order. We have a Facebook page. The Sacred Order of St. Michael has a website. You can actually fill out um, a request for help and have someone get a hold of you. There's special ways that you can request help. But always ask for help from somebody who's experienced. My guest tonight has been Timothy Earl, and he is with the Advent International Order of Exorcists. Sir, I'd like to thank you so much for joining me, and I would absolutely love to give you the final word tonight. Well, the biggest thing I'd like to impart on your listeners is that 
it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to reach out for help. If you feel that you're in an uncomfortable position, spiritually, emotionally, or even physically, and it's due to supernatural activity, get the help. Don't take, you don't have to suffer yourself. Don't take it on. Get the help. Timothy Earl, thank you so much, and God bless you, sir. Thank you, and God bless you. Good night. You can find my website at www.myalienlifepodcast.com and please subscribe to my latest downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and at podbean.com. And please follow me and like me on Facebook and Twitter. My Alien Life is written and produced for broadcast at Studio 254 in the Northern Rocky Mountains. The music you are hearing is produced and created by Elion. You can find all Elion's work online at Heart Dance Records. 